and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Trenna Probert, I am so excited to have you as my guest for She's the Boss Chats. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. I'm absolutely thrilled to be here with you today, Jules. Thank you so much. My absolute pleasure. So let's start by telling everybody what you're doing now because it is truly amazing. So off you go. Tell everyone about Super Fierce. Uh, Thank you, Jules. Yeah, so, I mean, Super Fierce is my absolute passion. It's a social enterprise fintech that we've built to do as much as we can to close the $30 trillion global gender wealth gap. And we started with superannuation here in Australia because uh, for most Australians, it's their second largest financial asset. For younger Australian women, it is their largest financial asset. And yet it's the thing that we ignore the most. So in terms of closing the gender wealth gap, we're starting with the um, gender retirement gap. There's a 47% gender retirement gap. Here in Australia. Good so heavens. We, that yeah, is just so we started mad. with super because the average savings over the lifetime in unnecessary super fees for a woman is uh, is over a hundred thousand dollars. So just a really simple totally way believe that. to put your hard earned cash back where it belongs so that you can fund a retirement that you deserve and that you'll love as well. Amazing. Now, can you just explain to people how it works? Sure. So um, the way that it works at the moment is you go onto our platform, you answer a few questions. We tried to make it as easy as possible. It feels more like having a chat with a friend on Messenger than filling in a form. Uh, And we provide as much information around that to make it easy as possible for you. You put that information in. Our platform then runs a minimum of 182,000 calculations to generate a free (laughs) personalized statement of advice, which a financial advisor would normally charge you between three, four and a half thousand dollars for this this piece of advice. So we're licensed to provide advice. And in this report, we show you how much you've got in super today, how much you're on track to retire with, and also how much you could save on fees if you were to switch into a lower cost fund in a range of different investment categories today. And, and we provide all of that information to you free of charge because we think it's critical that women have access to that information. And we do. Yep. We think that financial education is very important, but sometimes that alone isn't enough. It puts the burden still on you to know what to do. And that's why we work really hard to get an Australian financial services licence so that we're actually in a position to provide the advice that you need. So. That's where we've started, um, but I'm 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 holed up in my Noosa office this week with all of my team, and you know we're busily working around the clock um, on building out the next features of the platform, which we're really right. excited about because what we want to do is we want to make appropriate, affordable advice accessible to every single woman in this country before we shift offshore, and also because we don't just want to help women who have financial resources. We want to help the women who've already slipped between the cracks. So we donate 10% of our gross revenue to our philanthropic soul sister, that's Fierce Impact. And Fierce Impact, that team's job is to find and fund the initiatives that are helping marginalised women in Australia to escape vulnerability and risk. And so that's how we like to, yeah, that's how we like to share our fierce fierce love on on the world, um, (laughs) but with a real focus on um, being really determined about having a meaningful impact on people's lives. Well, you're certainly uh, doing uh, doing incredible things for women. So what was it that made you decide that you had to start it up? Was there a light bulb moment? Was there something that happened that made you go, I've got to do this, like I just can't wait any longer? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll be 50 this year, Jules. So, you know, at this stage of life, there are lots of threads of your life that lead to these moments and you know often you kind of feel like Jesus you know all these weird and wacky things have happened to me and you know it doesn't make sense and for me I feel like all of those things absolutely led me to this moment of what I'm doing. So I've always worked in and around financial services, never really fit in. I'm a bit like you. We're a bit bold and wild and free. (laughs) And, you know, they like us because we can add a lot of value quickly, but don't like us so much because we don't, you know, we don't really fit into the, yeah, I don't fit the mold perfectly. But, you know, I, I accumulated a lot of experience and, you know, I had what would have 
from the outside looked like a pretty high-flying career and someone with financial services experience. But at the age of 34, um, I had to borrow $3,000 from my parents to leave an unhealthy relationship in a very fancy harbourside mansion in Sydney with a chubby, curly-haired young boy under my arm and literally start my life again at the age of 34. Wow, so at the end of the marriage, you literally had nothing. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it wouldn't be fair to say ultimately I had nothing because, and we weren't married though, so I was right. in a much more vulnerable position. Yeah. And um, so, but at that point, yeah, I was definitely not in a great position. And from the outside, it didn't look that way to people, you know, we're good at coping and doing those things. And so I scrambled. I scrambled like crazy and, you know, that's a whole bigger story. Yes, but, but we'll get onto your reality, story in a minute. Yep. Yeah, but the reality is that for me, super fierce is the culmination of a range of things. So that that is the critical piece that drives my passion for right. empowering women with self confidence and the ability to build financial resilience. Because I don't want anybody to experience what I experienced. And, no, you know, and so I many women that, do. Yeah. You know, and I, I'm, you know, I, I have uncomfortable conversations with people where, you know, I'll be in a room of men and I'll just say, look, unfortunately, the reality is the statistics show us that, you know, there's at least one person in here who is a perpetrator, right? And, right. you know, the statistics show us that please don't believe that there isn't at least one woman in your team who is not experiencing something. So we all have to have our eyes open. But yeah. interestingly, I met a woman in Brisbane at an event the other day and she was quite tearful talking about a similar situation actually happening to her son, which I think is a subject that's often hidden as well and, and not as prevalent, right, but yes. certainly something that we need to be aware of. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, uh, just love what you do. Now, you just alluded to all sorts of things. So let's go back now. And if you're, if you're up for it, we'll talk about your life and how it's led to where you are now. So I like to start around sort of school days, high school days. And tell me a little bit about your family, what your parents did, how many of them there were of you. Um, that's always a really interesting place to start in terms of role models and things. So tell me. Yeah. Yeah, look, so, I mean, I was originally born in a small country town in southeast South Australia. Oh, and right. Both, yeah, and so both my parents are essentially the respected black sheep in their families. They came <laughs> from, you know, rural. So I had a really good um, good genetic pool of black sheep to, to grow from. Rule breakers, um, let's say. <laughs> yeah, and so they actually both became teachers. Okay. My dad had been my dad had been pulled out of school when he was fourteen to go and work on you know on running teams of men in his dad's sawmill, but um, <clears throat> pardon me. At the age of nineteen, he decided that it really education mattered to him. That life wasn't for him, and he went to teachers' college and started to study. Oh, good on him. So that's ultimately where he met my mum. Was working in area school in South Australia, and. Um, Pardon me, sorry, Jules, but the reason why I go back there is because I grew up in a family of adventurers, really. And so we lived How in the fabulous. centre of Australia. <laughs> yeah, we lived in the centre of Australia. We lived in the far north of Australia. We lived in Canada. Right. So we had a wild journey. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Jules. No, that, have a glass or something. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Don't I worry. I you can cut, cut out. We can and uh, don't worry because um, I've got a cold as well, so I'll probably start coughing at some stage. <laughs> well, it's funny actually. I haven't coughed at all. I'm not sure where that came from. <laughs> right. must be just about going back to your past. So Maybe. So you grew up, did you have any brothers or sisters? Yes. Yeah, so I have one brother, Matthew. Um, who lives not far from you down in Barwon Heads. Oh, and, um, yeah, Matthew and I were very, very close growing up and, um, yeah, I have very fond memories of that relationship. Okay. Um, and we were both, we're, we on the outside we appeared very different, but on the inside I think we were very similar creatures. And, you know, we actually both felt the pressure from our parents to be perfect, and so oh, there's a lot of sort of pressure on you to be perfect students, I'm guessing. 
Yeah, and just to be pretty perfect in every way, actually, I think. Oh, and really? so And my brother's response to that was to disappear and escape a lot, whereas my reaction was a very female reaction, which was to overcompensate by trying to be everything to everybody and be even more perfect. And, you know, that's a a difficult path. And I, I wasn't diagnosed until about the age of 38 with ADHD. But so I now understand that there are the layers of complexity to the struggles that I had as a teenager. And again, a common theme from the outside, everything looked like it was pretty awesome. I was good at everything that I did. Um, I appeared to be doing well, but I didn't have friends. Um, I had a lot of inner turmoil. And yeah, I definitely felt like I was definitely the odd one out. And, and this, so, is this through to high school we're talking about now or primary school? Absolutely, or all the way through? absolutely, and absolutely in high school. And I would say that that certainly um, is a common theme through my entire life journey, that feeling of, you know, a deep longing and interest and curiosity about people, but feeling a bit separate. And, you know, with, with all um, respect to the people on my journey because as a teenager I definitely was pretty odd uh, and I think people would argue that I still am you know <laughs> my husband uh, my husband finally escaped me he's like Trini you keep saying everybody's odd I don't understand why do they all do that what's the definition of odd and I'm like oh I'm odd and so yeah at the age of 40 I kind of finally worked out it wasn't about everybody else I was the I was the persistent problem. Yeah. Oh, well, not but, problem. Yeah. I hope you also realised how special you are. I mean, being being thinking outside the square and not fitting into the mould is also great. And I would say um, that a lot of entrepreneurs will find out. I mean, I, I haven't been diagnosed because I haven't gone down that route, but I reckon I've got all the symptoms of, of ADHD as well. I do think that um, it's common. When my kids were diagnosed, their doctor said to us, you know, that the common um, career for people with ADHD ADHD is entrepreneurs. And I was saying, oh, well, I'm sure none of us have it in our family. And all my three brothers <laughs> and myself are all entrepreneurs. <laughs> <laughs> well, and obviously there's a very strong genetic link there. And yeah, when my, That's the right. way that I was diagnosed was my eldest son, but at the time he was eight, was diagnosed. And my husband went to his ADHD coach. It's like, okay, what are the things that we need to focus on first and blah, 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 blah. And and, um, Mark was like, well, the first thing you need to do is get your wife diagnosed. We sort her out and then we get started on on action. (laughs) So so that was the beginning of my journey. And, you know, yeah, it was a pretty interesting journey. Um, Definitely. They talk about the the seven stages of grief. And, um, you know, I think being diagnosed late in life with ADHD at first, there was a feeling of realisation Surprise, recognition, horror, um, relief, understanding, being seen, feeling seen and heard. But the the biggest and most surprising one that lasted the longest was a great pervading sense of grief. And for me that, yeah, and the sense of grief, which I've reflected on a fair bit recently because one of my dearest friends in the world was just diagnosed with ADHD. I could have told her years ago, but she was just diagnosed with ADHD and she's going through this at the moment. So I was reflecting on my own journey with that. And it was because I just look back and it just, I'm medicated now. So I've been medicated for 12 years. Right. My life is completely different. Really? And so completely different. And so I look back on the journey and just go, if only I had known earlier, it didn't have to be that hard and the other side of it as well was just going geez right it didn't have to be this hard imagine how much more I could have done (laughs) if I had been operating with all of my capacity Oh, but Trina, look at what you have done. Like, come on. Thank you. (laughs) You've done so much. that's the thing for me. Well, I had to reframe that story for myself. Yeah, because you you may not. I I wouldn't have ended up where I am today if I hadn't done all of those things as well. You probably would have been less of a risk taker. That's the illustration. Yeah, that's the illustration of a life journey, though, in general, right? It's those, you know, ups and downs. And obviously, as I head towards my 50th birthday, yep, you're all invited. Um, <laughs> you're going to you love know, it. It's the best decade ever. I can't wait. But, um, 
Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a time for reflection. And, you know, yeah. I definitely look at the the different streets and phases and seasons and experiences of, of, of my life. And I do feel that they have all inextricably combined to create a very rich tapestry of experience and, and understanding mm. that have led me to the place where I not only care deeply um, I, I have lived experience and I understand what it is to be a woman. Mm. Um, I understand what it is to be a woman experiencing highs and lows, but I've also managed to garner a huge amount of really valuable experience and expertise through my wild <laughs> corporate and entrepreneurial career, which I can bring together now to create tools and and um, and solutions so that it doesn't have to be as hard for other people. And that is just one of the beautiful things about you, that you want to help others. So let's Thank go back you. to being at school and that feeling that you really had to be perfect, and particularly if your brother was being a bit wild. Did you enjoy school? Were you good at school? Yeah, um, I think it's, I mean, one of the things I say all the time, which drives my husband crazy, is it's not as simple as that, Jules. <laughs> no, I um, know. <laughs> I think, you know, I was naturally good at everything, okay. which was probably very annoying for everybody. <laughs> I'm sure um, it was. But what they didn't see, yeah, very annoying. So, you know, and I was a weird kid. You know, I was always singing and winning, winning singing competitions and I'd be in the United Nations for Youth United Nations and then I'd be playing chess and then I'd be, you know, then I'd also be winning poetry competitions but then I'd be really good at sport as well. So, you know, right, they I was a normal nerd where they could smash me apart on the field. So that I was very annoying. I'm sure I was very annoying. But, um, you know, and I appeared to be good at school, but what the teachers and I knew was that I wasn't actually operating to my full potential, which I now know why. But, again, the good thing is, though, you know, underneath the surface my feet were, you know, paddling wildly like, you know, like a duck underwater. It all looked pretty smooth on the surface, but underneath not so much. But right. what I now know was I actually, and it's probably a part of what I do now for, for a job, is I would just find hacks for everything. So, you know, mm. um, people would look at me and just go, wow, she's so super organised. It's like, ah, oh, no. But, you know, I, had, I would have like Excel spreadsheets with, you know, just everything organised within an inch of itself because it was the only way I could function. Right. I didn't know why, but I just knew how I wanted to be able to perform. And so I would do whatever I could to try and get some structure around me and so on. But it was certainly not fail-proof. Oh, no, but how amazing. Okay, so when you finished school, did you go to uni? Was that sort of expected of you? Yeah, it definitely was. And, I mean, you know, uh, I... I was a very good golfer and so my great passions in life were singing, acting and playing golf. But again, coming from a family, country family, um, and I'd had access to education opportunities that were not available to my parents. Yeah. They, you know, I was seen as quite a talented, gifted kid and there was an expectation that you absolutely would not try to become a professional actor, singer or <laughs> um, sports person. <laughs> And you would you would go to university, and I was very young, right? I was sixteen when I finished school, and um, seventeen when I went to uni, and um, and I was really shy. So despite the outward ex exterior, I just had deep social anxiety, painfully, painfully shy. And um, so going to uni was was a real step for me, um, and a great one though. So I went to uni in Adelaide. I, I was moving between Flinders Uni and Adelaide Uni. I was studying economics, but I was also studying Japanese. I was going to say, which is why, why I was shifting. In, I was going to say something about going into numbers when you're um, ADHD so and so creative, obviously. So it's interesting that you did Japanese as well. Well, it's, it's you know, the, the degree was not what I chose for myself. Right. The reality is that's what my parents wanted me to do and ultimately, um, yeah, I hated it. <laughs> but um, ironically, given what I do now, but it just wasn't, yeah, I struggled at uni. It was hard for me. Um, it wasn't structured for the way that my brain worked. But 
I made amazing friends and I grew, it started to grow into who I was. Um, and because I fell in love with a gorgeous boy there who then, he was older than me and was going off to America to um, work in the camps, yeah. summer camps. Yeah. I was like, well, bugger that. I'm not getting left behind here. So um, because I was a golfer and studying Japanese, there was an ad on the out on the board at the Adelaide University, um, advertising for golf caddies in Japan. And I was like, <laughs> oh, what a great okay. match. Yeah. So I went and did that. And that's actually where I met Craig, who is now my husband. Wow. So we met, yeah, we met when I was 19 and he was 20. I was actually at his first wedding to somebody else. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and so, yeah, I mean, 20 years on from meeting each other, we got married. And that was actually my first, that was actually my first and only marriage is to Craig. And, right. yeah, so it's funny how the cycles of life can take you in strange directions. And, you know, Craig um, has always been my soul friend like we were never anything other than that but just such a great soul and mental connection um, wow. both a bit weird compared with the other kids and yeah so now we we work together we work together at Macquarie um, at Macquarie Bank he was the head of um, he was the head of global investments and I was the head of strategy for Asia Pacific for Macquarie Private Bank and that's yeah, amazing and you funny, did that these together these tangled webs that we weave yeah well he was already there and um, I ended up there it was kind of a great surprise to me to so hang on hang on hang on I can't I'm trying to join the dots. So you're in Japan yes. golfing caddies, both of you. Was he? But you said he was already at Macquarie. Was he? No, no, no. no. Okay, that so- was long way on. No, he was only twenty. He was at Macquarie when. Um, before I went to Macquarie. Oh, okay. but well, so take, yeah, take me so through that, was later in life. that part of your career then. So you met in Japan. What happened when you came back met madly in, in love and very young? <laughs> no, not madly in love. No. Okay. Uh, well, I was madly in love, but I was still madly in love with my beautiful boyfriend who'd gone to America. Oh, okay. So, yeah, no, Craig and I were just friends in Japan, never anything other than that, but very good friends. And, um, yeah, I, I got very frustrated in Japan ultimately because unlike the other kids, I spoke Japanese and, yeah, it was quite xenophobic back then. You know, it was very closed environment right. still and I loved it, but it was also challenging. How, there were many were challenging experiences. Uh, just under a year. Oh, okay. And, yeah, and so then I I was meant to be meeting my boyfriend um, in Europe to go travelling, um, got there. Of course, he had hooked up with somebody else in America, which oh, I eventually found out. Well, it was definitely was heartbreaking, but um, ironically, um, he and my husband keep ending up at the same conferences together, so fate's a funny thing. Oh, isn't it? <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, no, he's a gorgeous man. But, no, so for me it was just another part of my journey and so – so what did you do I when you came back? Working. It's hard when you've been away. I came back. I went. Yep. You've been. Yeah, it was hard. So when I came back, I went to university, finished off my degree, um, and I started working at the Hyatt right. uh, in Adelaide, which is now the Intercon. And, yeah, intense as I am now. So I would start the breakfast shift at 7 and finish that at, at, at about 1 and then I'd have half an hour and then I'd work on concierge and then I'd finish concierge at about 11. I'd go do a couple of hours in, in the Waves nightclub in the one-size-fits-all catsuit. Everybody, I'm nearly six foot tall. This catsuit oh, was I'd not one-size-fits-all. <laughs> uh, no, I just, you know, and the sexual harassment in that situation was just appalling, but that's a story right. for another day also. But, yeah, and in Interestingly, though, that is what set me on the path to Sydney. So working as concierge, I ended up um, making friends with a guy who was a very well-known Hollywood film producer and writer. And, um, oh, wow, yeah, he ended as up, you do when you're in yeah. Adelaide working in a hotel. So weird, right? <laughs> but I think, that you know, this is definitely a, a theme of my life, which is, yeah, I just chat to people and, you know, form interesting friendships. And <laughs> who knows I think where it we might do, leave. let's be honest, Jules, we tend to attract the we tend to attract the oddballs to us, right? Yes. So, With um, yeah, my business, <laughs> yeah, my business partner said to me not so long ago, he's like, Trina, is there like a convention where all you crazies meet up? And I'm like, yeah, kind of. <laughs> but, um, yeah, anyway, I mean, so I ended up getting my first proper job working for the Park Hyatt in Sydney. Right. And I was working in the sales and marketing department there. And, yeah, and I was already showing signs of being, you know, hyper-focused, intense, 
a performer, but I was probably a bit challenging to have have as a, an employee, which is why I need to be an entrepreneur. I'm pretty sure I'm not not the best employee for most people. I think that that's, my bosses out there. Sorry, that's true of many um, entrepreneurs. I think that we wouldn't make great employees. So, um, how did you go from the park hired into finance? Yeah, so I mean, obviously, I'd studied in that that space, but when I was working at the Park Hyatt, um, there was an amazing man, Les, Les Galbraith, who was the youngest ever vice president at American Express, and he um, he just saw me at work there and really saw me working <laughs> working the room pretty well, and um, yeah, he headhunted me and offered me at the age of twenty four an incredible opportunity, wow. and he built a role for me. And initially, the, it was a, a role split half and half. The first half of it was doing business analysis and very useful skills yeah. early on, which I've taken forward with me. Uh, but then the other half was. He set the tone for the way that I like to work best and where people would get the best from me is instead of telling me what to do, he would give me a problem to solve. Oh, my God, he sounds fantastic. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah, brilliant. Amazing. You know, so lucky. And it's why I'm such a passionate advocate for young people and giving them the opportunity to, to try and spread their wings on things rather than assessing people based, based just on their age and experience. You know, I'm always that. looking for, just always looking for aptitude. And, and you know, we, we use a, well, I, should, I have a framework that I use for recruiting people, but also for choosing, you know, what sort of work will we do? Won't we do? Who will we take on as an investor? Won't take on as an investor, et cetera. And it's called the good, willing, enable. Right. And so the good is about values. And if we can't step past values, we don't go any further. Yeah. So, and values isn't, you know, just all the obvious ones. It's, it's how you move through the world. It's how you take responsibility for that. You know, what matters to you? And for a mission-based social enterprise, that's deeply important. But for me personally, it's also critically important because, you know, I'm, I'm on a mission to live a big, amazing life. You know, I want to have an amazing, wonderful time, but I also want to create a huge, meaningful impact on people's lives and on the world. And so, you know, I choose to have those types of people on the journey with me where I can because it's not easy. I need people who are not going to agree with me, but they're going to be pushing in the same direction. So, you know, we have that same impetus and and, and purpose-driven approach to life, and that matters to me, but also it's around you know, for me, values is also about how do you take responsibility for the ripples that you send off that hit other people when you move through the world? And this is what people forget sometimes is it doesn't matter how you're moving through the world. It does impact others in some way. It can be as simple as whether you smile at someone Mm. walking down the street or not. You know, you have impacted that that person and it's so easy to smile and you just don't know that smile may be what saves somebody from a desperate moment yeah you know you can have a really critical impact so we start with the good that's values based and you know it's not linear there's not one definition but it's an energetic definition of what what works for us yeah and it's growing and evolving all the time and then the willing is about attitude obviously you know are you a self-starter you know, are you willing to take responsibility for your actions? Are you willing to try, fail, get up, own it, keep, ask for help, keep moving? Are you willing to help somebody else to succeed and not feel like you have to take the credit for that? Are you willing to give someone a chance when nobody else has and have the right attitude about how you're going to lean into support? And there's all sorts of different versions, right? But they're just examples. Oh my and God, so I'm getting get goosebumps. Good, yeah, <laughs> so we get great. past the good and then we get past the willing, then we're onto the able. And so in an organization, that's typically about experience, expertise, skills, reference checks, right? Yeah. You know, we're a startup. We're a startup, but we're also a social enterprise. So for me, the able is not just about those things. They're nice to have if you can get them. Yeah. But it's really about it's really about aptitude for me. So do you have the ability to try and learn? Yeah. Do you have the ability to try, fail, learn, evolve, succeed? You know, do you have the 
blah, blah, yeah. blah, right? So that's the good, willing, and able. And so that's been very instructive for me um, in my journey as an entrepreneur as well. You know, it really, that was a framework that really began as a manifesto almost when I came out of um, a previous business partnership, which was, yeah, excruciatingly bad for me. Um, You know, I really suffered from PTSD for about three, four years after that business. Yeah, I had a bald spot, like as big as a grapefruit on the top of my head. So it was tough. And so, but that's okay, right? Because that's how we learn. But that's where the good, willing, and able came from because I realized that I needed a framework to help me to truly assess these things more carefully because my natural inclination is to love everybody and to believe everybody's fabulous yes and to believe that that we should do everything together right that we should do everything together and one of of my superpowers is you know i have this propensity to try and turn turn it take an apple and turn it into fruit salad (laughs) right now sometimes it's delicious it's marvelous and nobody else would have thought to create it yep. right but sometimes it's a complete cluster you yep. know what right and so <laughs> but, you know the good willing and able is a part of this framework for helping me to assess these things more carefully well i love it what a fantastic and what a great boss that you had um in that first job who took you with that kind of attitude as well so absolutely and i mean that that job was incredible because the problem that he gave me to solve i'd managed to forget where we started so you had said that um, he created the role for you and then got you in and so you got in and you got to use some of that economics uh, qualification that you had how did that then lead into I'm interested to know when you re- kind of recognized that you were an entrepreneur and started going out on your own because you've alluded to another business as well so how, what's the progression yeah, so- after that job <laughs> So it was really in that job that, um, so I've never had a real job that, I think I've only ever had one real job that I've applied for. Right. And and so after that, and so this job at, at American Express was really building products and businesses and solutions okay. within American Express to solve problems. So I really started off by being an entrepreneur and, you know, like high school, it was uncomfortable in many ways because I moved hard and fast. I was doing things that people older than me thought I shouldn't have the opportunity to do, but I was really good at it. (laughs) And, and it was on that journey that, yeah, I just realized, yeah, I was just good at it. I, I actually started my first business before I turned 30. That was what, that was a goal that I'd set myself was I wanted to start my first business before I turned 30. And so I worked really hard to talk myself into a redundancy. Um, My boss had taken (laughs) a redundancy and left. I didn't like what it was like. And I thought, right, I can see a pathway out of somewhere where I'm not that happy anymore. Um, And I can't imagine anybody hiring me to do a job anywhere. I was just like, what am I going to do now? So, yeah, I talked myself into the redundancy and was able to fund setting up my first business. So what was the first business and and why? Yeah, look, um, the, the first business I suspect you would probably call an early model of partnership marketing, though my background's not marketing. But what I was very good at doing was identify, it's probably the fruit salad thing, right? So I'd be able to identify, you know, I'd be able to identify a market opportunity, which if I could convince a number of different parties who had access to either resources, skills, customers, whatever, and bring them together in a vehicle, um, disparate groups who would never normally think to do something together. And back then, like this is like decades ago, this was not normal back then. So if I could bring them together, we could leverage the power of those differences um, to actually deliver really valuable, scalable outcomes for each party that didn't have to be the same outcomes. But, you know, I was just good at building the vehicles, but also identifying and convincing the partners that this was a great, great idea. The gift of the gab. So, (laughs) So, Yeah, look, I think what I was learnt at, what I learnt at American Express was the importance of how to influence without authority. And I think that as a woman that can be a very powerful Can you explain that a little bit more? What do you mean by that? Because it sounds fascinating. Yeah. 
So what I mean by that, and I talk to young people, young women in particular about this, which is, you know, become a master at influencing without authority on your journey to earning authority. And so often, um, so when I was at Amex, the, the problem I was set to solve led to me creating a program where I built and managed relationships with the top 100 CEOs of the top 100 corporate customers of American Express in Australia. Right. Wow. Like these were significant people. And I was like, you know, 24 to 29 year old young woman, like, you know, kid from country town in South Australia. So I learned how to influence decision making, how to influence outcomes without having the job title or the ability right. to say yes or no to things. And it sounds manipulative, but it's actually not. It's just it's just a way that you can actually learn to have a seat at the table, to have, um, have a place in a conversation and drive outcomes without having to take that, that you know, command and master kind of approach to things. Oh, I love it. And I think it's really, it's a really powerful thing. And um, I didn't realise that was what I was doing until much later in life where I started to put a name to that. But I think it's something that women are actually naturally very good at. And instead of trying to not deny that, lean in and really just embrace the power of that mm. because it's a, it's it's actually a very energetic, um, you know, it's an energy-driven thing which is around trying to great, drive great outcomes for people but without having to always control the conversation, if you know yeah, what I mean. Yeah, I love it. I mean, it's it, and it's clever too. So so you took those skills and started an agency, did you, where you were offering that, that ability yeah, to create partnerships and, for other organisations? Yeah, and what I do in everything I do is just try to make sure I take away at least one <laughs> great <laughs> lesson. Yeah. And so, you know, in this business, I learned that I was really good at winning the business. I was really great at executing on the promise and delivering results. I was terrible at getting right. paid. And so I ended up in court having to sue, um, you know, a very well-known group who was a customer of mine and, and I won in court, but that wasn't something I wanted to do yep. again. So very simple lesson through that, um, which goes through everything that I do now and advice I give people is if you have a customer, particularly if you're a small business, right, you know, where cash flow mm -hmm. is important, critical, any corporations out there listening, cash flows critical to small businesses. Absolutely. And our economy needs them. Don't put a stranglehold on cash flow. But what I did was, um, you know, I changed the way that I would invoice in my businesses moving forward. And so in a proposal in future businesses, it was just, okay, we both need to have skin in the game. So I don't commence work until you pay 50% yep, of I the bill. I learned that lesson. <laughs> I'll take a, yeah, and I'll take a haircut. I'll take a haircut on my base for you to do that, but then what you need to do is you need to enable me to participate in the upside of success that I deliver oh, nice. to you. And for me, yeah, this was a real game changer in a subsequent business of mine where, um, yeah, I three times the profitability of my business once I managed to get people to stop trying to pay me by the hour for work that we would do. Pay for the results. And instead... Yeah, and because I knew I could do it 16 times faster than they thought I could, right, and I killed it, and they're happy, yeah. right, you know, and have to, like, oh, you know, you're checking in. So, it, but it was a real mind shift because we were mo mostly focused on doing this for financial services companies, like large financial yeah. services companies and others, like, you know, we did some work for businesses like Telstra and so on, you know, sorry to David Bodie, but that was that was not actually an enjoyable experience. I wish I knew then. And... Um, yeah, but so that's what I mean about those lessons that I've gathered mm. on the way through every different business as well. So, you know, in that second business, it was actually, no, that was a third business, but it was learning to, um, yeah, it was learning that I needed to train my customers 
to value the outcome rather than a time and materials approach to things, which I just think is stupid. Yeah, interesting. I mean, PR is very like that and I learned that early on, but your cash flow um, comment about payment up front or part payment up front was a big lesson for me as well. And I remember a client once saying to me, you know, why would I pay you up front? You haven't done any work for me. And I said, because I am not a big business and I don't have the facilities to go chasing you for money if you want to pay me late. So just you know, I always said, get them when yeah. they're keen, they're excited, they want to get started with you. It's only fair that that money starts and it gives you the seed money to be able to keep going with the rest of the project. Look, I agree with that 100%. And there's one other piece to that for mm-hmm. me as well, Jules, which is what I call having skin in the game. So if a company, if your customer has to put money down up yeah. front then they are actually going to commit more of their time, resources, engagement to support you to succeed because they've already invested into it. And that was something I learned, um, you know, through one of those businesses as well is if they don't feel the sting of that a little bit, you don't, you can't quite get the attention that you need from, you know, in PR, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, I don't know. (laughs) But it's it's like any other business. to me. Right. But is that... You can't truly deliver real value for your customers if they don't do the work Absolutely. to help Absolutely. you. Absolutely. 100%. Right. So it's just encouraging good behaviour. Yes, exactly. Now, were there any other businesses um, that I need to know about along the rest of your journey or otherwise I'm going to start veering off into some other questions? But um, Yeah, look, look, it's not that you need to know about them, but, you know, I'd like I've to built, know about them. Um, yeah, look, I mean, the varying degrees of success in the things that I've built. You know, I've, I've built quite a few different things. Um, and one of them, you know, I had an exit from, um, you know, I don't talk publicly about that one because of the confidentiality, confidentiality. around yeah. that. Confidentiality um, <laughs> around that. But, yeah, I mean, it's definitely been a wild, wild ride. Um, and I wake up. Sometimes, so, you know, last night I wake up and I, I'm just like, oh, I'm going to look at my phone. What time is it? And, you know, recently I've been looking at my phone. It's like 4.22 and I'm like, yes, yes, I did it. <laughs> and last night I picked up the phone, looked at it tentatively and it was 12.22. Are, right? are you talking like, about trying oh to get a decent God. night's sleep here? Well, I'm talking about sometimes I wish I wasn't an entrepreneur. Because <laughs> <laughs> the mind goes tick, 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 but, tick, tick. Yeah, so I had my three hours and then I got an extra hour in sort of just before sunrise this morning, so I got my whole four hours and that was good. But I do wake up sometimes really wishing that I could be one of those people that knows how to not care too much, who knows how to check into a job that exists and, you know, do it, check out and get on with life. But it's not me and so um, I'm just a... Yeah, I just can't help myself. I just have so much energy and so many ideas and so many things that I want to build that are actually about, for me, it's all about creating change yeah. in the world, making it, just making it a better place. Yeah. And I, but I do wish I could sleep in more often. Yes, I know. I've got, I've got teenagers at the moment and, and you have too. And their ability to sleep <laughs> makes me so I'm so jealous. sorry. I get so <laughs> jealous though of that ability to go to sleep yeah. at 10 and sleep until 12 the next day. Um, and, you know. Yeah. I, I have a nine, I have a nine-year-old who still sleeps 12 hours a <laughs> oh, night. Fantastic. I, I tell you, there's something, <laughs> yeah, there's something about perimenopause and menopause that they just don't tell you about sleeping that, that they should say in your 20s enjoy the fact that you're going to be able to sleep for long times because once you've had kids and then everything else happens well, it's I not mean, going to be I've, so easy I've never slept I've never slept but I think that's ADHD wow so, really and then, so four hours know, is I, good for you because that yeah. doesn't sound like anywhere near enough yeah. my my preference is five five and wow. a half um, but, but four is okay for me occasionally I'll you know I'll push it to the wire for, for too long and then I'll need like an eight hour, but then I'm back, like then I'm I'm fine. So Wow, I but cannot I just, believe you I can just follow function the rhythm of my body. On four or five. That's that I would be literally I would not be able to keep my eyes open by late afternoon. 
Yeah, it's funny. And I mean, the meds are a part of that though as well. Uh, so if, yeah. I, if I forget to take it to, if I leave it too late in the day, then that will definitely impact my sleep as well. But as my husband says, you know, I just kind of do everything intensely, even even sleeping. So, <laughs> you know, when I'm ready to go to sleep, I go straight to sleep and, you know, deep. the world could fall apart and I won't wake up. It's deep. And then I wake up and I'm immediately awake and that's it. So I'm a very, very annoying morning person. Oh, no. Well, I definitely wake up and I'm switched on and it drives everyone in the house absolutely crazy. Or Great. So you and I can, we can travel together. We can, although I'm going to do more than four hours sleep, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, That's okay. Talk to me about, look, uh, we're going to run out of time, but I do want to rattle through some questions that I'm really interested in. One is you're very passionate about helping women, as am I. I'm interested to know, were there women that helped you early in your career um, that were real role models for you? Because I look back and I had some amazing women and I do think that that affected me. And also because I'm trying to make women more visible. So if there are women that have helped you and you're Mm -hmm. happy to to name them and tell us a little bit so about what you've done. Right? I knew this was going to be a hard one for you. Can you tell us a couple of ones that stand out? Yeah, and it's it's so interesting. I literally just got covered with goosebumps then because you made my mind go backwards. And and it actually started for me at right. high school with amazing women who, you know, would see that um, I was struggling more than people realised, but they would create space for me to be genuinely myself and shine in my own way. Beautiful. And that was actually something that Les did for me at American Express. But there were some amazing women at American Express who really supported me. I'm so pleased to hear that, though. (laughs) And that was very challenging. But, yeah, um, Betty Burke, um, who's now in, in the UK and, yeah, she was just, and I mean, I was this annoying 24-year-old precocious kid, right? And, you know, Betty Burke and Di Collins, like huge shout out to you ladies, amazing. They supported me so much and, and enabled me to grow and learn and um, welcomed me into their world outside of work. And I was pretty lonely. I didn't really have friends right. much. You know, I didn't really hang out with kids my own age that much. And so, you know, they were a lot older than I was, like 20 years. And so they created space for me in their world. And I'm just so appreciative of that. Going back to when I worked at the Park Hyatt, Sheridan Walsh, who is like, you know, renowned in in Hyatt um, history, you know, she was this pocket rocket of, you know, glamorous, forceful intellect and intent. But she was so warm. She was strong but feminine and you know she enabled me to take risks and do things that nobody else would have given me the opportunity to do that Sheridan's extraordinary oh I'm so, so women pleased. like those were just amazing um yeah and then when I moved on to um later on because in between oh yeah so when I was at just thinking about it when I was at Macquarie you know, not necessarily people that I was working for or with directly, but were in my universe. So um, a really good example of that is Sam Clark. And, you know, I've returned the favour by dragging her into an old business of mine to learn to be an entrepreneur. And now she's the founder of a very successful reg tech. So oh, she brilliant. probably hates me. But but Sam, you know, Sam was very senior at Macquarie and she just gave me space when, you know, I didn't really have have that so much. So incredible. And now in my world, though, the older I get, the more of those women I have around me, which is so exciting, you know, and um, I've just got such a long list, you know, Linda Coker on my entrepreneurial journey has just been such an extraordinary, um, generous support to me. Lisa Chesser, an ex-MP down in um, South Australia. You've got Moira Weir and Sarah Gunn and Julie Trell um, yes, from the Shio community who are just extraordinary yep. and so generous with their support for me. Um, and and then even just the friendships of incredible women like Victoria Taylor. She's very Taylor. She's very senior at AWS now, but she's always got time for me. She's the friend who calls when I'm not picking up. Oh, I love She's it. She's the friend who will jump on a plane to open the door and just check in. And we all need those people we around do. us. And I'm so delighted that there's loads I of have a, I could yeah. just go for forever. It's a very long list. Maybe I should do a book club <laughs> for all the good people who supported me. It's funny, isn't it? Uh, every once in a while I'll ask this question and people will go, 
No, I can't think of anyone, which really shocks me. But I'm the same as you. I, I, if you asked me that question, I'd be like, gee, which of the 2,000 women that I can think of that have helped me should I mention? Um, yeah, and Jules, do you know what I think it may be, though? We're probably less likely to go, who was my formal mentor? Yeah. And go, so we look around the edges of that question and I'm not looking for someone who was my boss or a mentor. I'm looking for the people that actually influence me. I've got three coaches who I reach out to in different ways and, you know, two in particular bear special mention, Julie Dempsey. Oh, I love Julie. You know, I was messaging her. Is she one of your coaches? Right. So Julie Dempsey, yes, and, you know, at 2 a.m. is sending me a message saying, I'm sending you healing and, yes, you oh. are going to sleep. But, you know, she'll take the message. And then I've got MJ Ryan, who's over in the US. And, you know, every time I go on to my half hour, you know, coaching call with her each week, I always go into it. I'm like, oh, I don't need to talk to MJ. I got this all, you know, I'm good. I'm good. And then I get on it. And for some reason, we just always know that she, somehow I start to speak to her and the thing that I need to talk about comes out and we resolve it quickly. And so I'm just so incredibly grateful for that and really encourage really encourage every woman who listens to this, you are worthy of having great yep. support around you. Often we don't believe that we are. No, you're not wasting time. Often you're giving somebody the gift of valuing their wisdom uh, and, and their support. And, you know, if they say no, don't take it personally, but don't assume that people will yeah, say no. Yeah, I think no. that's really, really good advice. And if you want, anybody wants to listen to the stories behind Julie Trell's journey and Julie Dempsey, I've got them both as guests on this podcast as well. So you can go and have a look for their episode. Perfect. Two of my favourite people divine. in the world. Definitely they listen are totally to those. divine. Now, um, You've just told me that you hardly sleep. How do you juggle work and life and get that balance so that you're not going to burn out? Um, <laughs> well, do I do it very well, Jules? Well, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm interested to know that how the juggle no, is going. No, you can put me on the spot. Yeah, look, so um, it's always up and down. I mean, you know, I'm building a very complicated business and um, – at a time which is very challenging in a bear market as well. So there is complexity there. And, you know, I've got a growing team and I care deeply about each and every one of them. So for me, those boundaries and that balance is yeah. very challenging. And, you know, and I've got four kids across three households <laughs> and a husband and I've got elderly parents. So I don't know, like there's not a lot of room for juggling other stuff. Do you, but get do you take what time I out for I yourself? Do, what I think I do very well, actually, Jules, is um, I know myself very mm -hmm. well. Um, I have a very strong internal dialogue and um, I'm so determined to be the best that I can be for myself, for my business and the people in my world that I try to look after myself. One of the um, one of the battles that I have to face at the moment is where you know, living in Noosa, but we probably need to move back to Sydney yeah. soon. And there are so many reasons why why we should. But what I see is that I am mentally and physically healthier and happier here. And that's because it's easier for me to step outside. You know, I'm up early. So, you know, I can go for a walk at the beach at five and then I'm in the swimming pool at six. You know, um, I can walk outside and put my, I'm looking at, I can put my feet on the grass, like ground. I don't need a lot of time. Right. I just need, uh, so as I mentioned before, I can do anything yep. intensely. <laughs> so it doesn't take a lot. You know, I'm a one minute walk to the most beautiful um, view over a lake with a bench and I will walk over there um, and I'll breathe and I'll reflect and I'll walk back. Um, you know, my husband knows me well. So for Mother's Day, he bought me from my son um, three fiction novels. So um, it's one of the you few ways that my yes, brain can switch off. So what I have is I, I have a toolkit. I have a toolkit. And when the things aren't working, I try something else. And when nothing's working, I call right. Julie Dempsey. <laughs> but I'm very conscious but, you know, I'm just very conscious. Like I'm not getting it right all the time, but I think my secret sauce, though, Jules, is that I take so much deep, intense joy from the smallest things in life and they just fill me up. You know, I think I am um, an optimistic, 
happy person. Oh, you're amazing. I'm a deep, complicated person as well. So there is a shade. Yeah, of course. To the, there's, there's definitely a shade on the other side of that. But, yeah, I just, you know, I just feel so happy to be here and to have a chance at life, oh, yeah, you know. I do know. And, you know, we all know people that haven't had that chance. So um, on lots of levels, we've got to be very grateful for what we've got and make the most of it. So a great answer. Um, okay, here's one out of left field. Is there a quirky fact about you that most people don't know that you'd be up for sharing? <laughs> I love asking that question. Yeah, it's a great question. The problem for me is because you I have ADHD, I don't actually really have very many boundaries. <laughs> and therefore not very many secrets. Um, not many secrets, no. Um, I was nearly a professional mm, golfer people, is a good one. people not know. I mean, that, you know. Yeah, I was nearly a professional and you golfer. Love singing. Um, you know, I'm... I love singing. Do you do um, anything for singing or golfing now as well? Do you have time? Look, I, I'm actually living on a golf course, <laughs> which makes this next statement tragic. But, um, yeah, I don't have time for golf. And I think because I was very good at it as well, like it's not just a go out and smash a ball around kind of a thing yeah. for me. Um, I, think, I think maybe something quirky about me that most people wouldn't know is that um, the reason I carry around an A3 pad and um, a bag full of Sharpies with me area everywhere is not just because that's how I capture ideas and thinking and I like to start at a centre. I don't like to be constrained, so I like to start at the centre of a page and build out from there because I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know how people start at the top of a page no, and look it. down like and bugger lines. <laughs> like I freaking hate lines, but um, I don't – so people wouldn't know that the other secret behind that, though, is I'm a kinesthetic thinker. So the act of placing the pen on the page activates the um, the thinking, listening part of my brain. Oh, my God. I didn't know that Something was a thing. I was just telling my son yesterday, yes. write down all your notes and you'll be able to remember them because you've got to actually write them. And I should have... I'll send you. I'll send you some. I'll send you some cool links, Jules. There's some cool stuff that you can can look at. And then maybe um, a quirky thing that people wouldn't know about me is if I don't take my meds, I am physically physically unable to sit across from you at a table and look you in the eye whilst wow. I talk to you. And it's not because I don't want to. It's and this is very common with ADHD. It's because by doing this, it's I'm able to still some of the thinking and listen to you more. But the look the act of looking you in the eye is impossible for me. Wow. Well, that is a quirky and um, amazing fact. I, and I, to think that you might have had that for nearly 40 years before you knew is amazing. And nobody had picked up on the fact that you weren't able to sit down still and look at them across the table. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. Very last question. And it's only, and it's not sort of apropos of nothing other than I'm obsessed with my phone myself. If And, and I don't know whether you work <laughs> off your phone, but I do a lot of stuff off my phone. Are there any clever business apps or, or fun personal apps that you use on your phone that you want to share? And if you don't use your phone, that's fine. Yeah, no. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm always trying to hack everything <laughs> yes. to make me more effective. <laughs> right. So um, I actually love Notion. It's not necessarily an app, but it's a software solution and I use it on my phone and I've got an amazing young, young woman in my team who has taken that to turn it into a way to capture the best of all of the different types of software that oh, I was what, using and create Notion? one solution that works for my brain. Check out Notion. It's software where essentially you can use it as um, – you can use it for anything, like it's genius. So we actually use it to build out essentially the asset value and our business in knowledge is built within right. Notion, so almost like a Wikipedia. But then we've actually built in our own project management tool within Notion and then wow. I use it for managing my tasks and I use it for as a sandbox for creative ideas and then I can actually integrate into it Figma, which is the design tool that we use for, for, for product design and road mapping and so on. So I love it because I can, you know, squash everything into one place and know that there's one place to capture everything. So if you were to think about a much more dynamic um, 
a rich version of something like an Evernote. You okay. can, if you were to mix Evernote with Asana and Slack and, you know, it's much more rich and dynamic ah. and flexible, oh, well, I'll have to look it like up. Because, yeah, I like flexibility. So, great. So anyone listening, go and have a little look at Notion. Well, Trena, I, I could just keep and I'm not getting paid for recommending Notion, yeah, that, just to be clear. I no, wish that is totally fine. Um, thank you so, so much for this interview. I have loved hearing your story. Just tell everyone again what is the best way, if they wanted to get hold of you or they want to sign up to Super Fierce, what, what are the, what are the yeah. links or whatever? So um, one quirk about me as well is definitely don't ever leave me voicemail. I'm trying to learn to clear them, but please yep. don't don't call me. But always feel free to text me. Uh, you can connect with me on LinkedIn, Trena Probert. I'm, I'm definitely the only <laughs> one of me. Um, but you can also find us on Instagram, and we would love you to support us and follow us on Instagram. So my personal handle is Trena Probert. You'll find me very easily. But then our business handle is at Be Super Fierce, and we would love love you to come and be super fierce with us um we've got a very very exciting um cheeky fun marketing campaign coming to market soon which is always is, is all about confronting um present bias where we don't think about the things that we need to do for ourselves in the future so if you want to learn how to get your gangster on and become a gangster granny with your girl gang <laughs> We've got the solution for you and it's going to make you laugh, but you're going to learn a lot. So I'd love you to come on the journey with us. And by all means, feel free to reach out to me directly, um, particularly business owners. You know, we'd love to help your teams. We're always looking for great partnerships. Okay, so well. at Be Super Fierce. And then what's the web address for Super Fierce itself? The URL is superfierce, S-U-P-E-R-F-I-E-R-C-E.com.au, superfierce.com.au. Wonderful. Well, thank you so, so much. Thank you, Jules. I hope you have a gorgeous day and thank you for having me on today. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she'stheboss.com.au.